Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. So we are starting a new series, and I'm really excited about it. I'm kind of in the middle of it. It's not your typical series. Often in series, you know, I like to get to a place where I can teach, and that's sort of my skill set, really understanding the Hebrew and the Greek and uncovering the secrets of Scripture. But there are times where we need to step out and we need to get a broader perspective, make sure we're not going in the wrong direction, and make sure everyone's on the same page, and make sure we have the same vision. And so one of the areas that we as pastors have been talking about is, is this concept of a dead church. I don't know about you. I don't want to be a part of a dead church. Amen. And it sounded just two minutes right there before, if you put a microphone on all you guys saying hi, it didn't sound like we were very dead. It sounded like we were pretty alive. Amen. I'll be a part of a dead church. But what is a dead church? Is it a church that has five people in it or 10 people? You know, I know thriving churches that started out just two or three people. Pat's brother's church, Brother Dom, started in his basement. I was there when it was only 30 of them. Now they got like 430 of them. Is it because a church that went from, like ours, 500 to 300 to 200 to 150, is that a dead church because they've shrunk in size? Is that how you define it? Or is it, is it a church that keeps the lights out, you know, and they, they sing with the lights out when, during worship? Or is it the ones that still have an organ on stage or a grand piano? Is it one that won't allow a guitar on stage? Are all these evidences of a dead church? So we've really been exploring this as pastors. We've been praying about it. We've been looking in the scripture, and we've been asking God to share with us what he needs from Kingsway. Because if you're part of a dead church, and you're walking around in it, then we could argue, and this is the question that we're asking, is our church, in fact, walking dead? Because this is what a walking dead looks like. It's a zombie. There's a name for it. It's in scripture too. There's all over the place, but I'm not going to get into the technical terms of a zombie and what makes them, but put it this way. They're not alive and they're not really dead, but they're walking around. They're undead. They're, They're walking dead, if you will. And the resemblances between zombies and some churches today is actually uncanny. I mean, think about it. Zombies, well, they really don't do any good for anyone. A. B. They can sometimes scare you. There are all kinds of churches, I'm sure, that scare people. Kingsway probably scares people. And zombies, at the heart of it, you know, they ultimately hurt other people because they, they want to take over, make them just like them, themselves. That's not what Kingsway is about, church. I'm not going to talk anymore about zombies today. We have a lot more to talk about um, the walking dead as we go through this service. But as you come up with analogies and you think about being dead and being alive, you know, if you compare yourself to a zombie and what they do and how they live and what you know about them, you'll be surprised at how often sometimes we act like zombies. And so this point of this message is to make sure that we are not walking dead. Amen? So is there scripture for that? Sure, I got plenty of scripture for that. One of our favorite scriptures is Ephesians chapter 2. This is, it says this in the word. It says, you were dead in your transgressions, dead in your sin. You know, I encourage you today, I, I preached about this last week, so I'm not going to hit on it too much today. For those of you who want a little more out of service, who say, oh, I wish you would have preached more out of Ephesians. You know, there's some really good verses in there. I mean, listen to this right here. 
Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. It goes on and on and on. It says we refused to obey and we were, we were subject to our own sinful nature and God's anger, in fact. And then it says, but God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. God is all about raising the dead. God is all about transforming walking dead into live, active, vibrant people. If you want a little more today, I encourage you, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm not going to preach any more about verse 1. If you feel convicted at all during the service and you go, what do I do next? Go home and do a self-devotion on Ephesians chapter 2. Read it, study it, get it into your scripture, get it into your, your body, get it into your spirit, man. Amen? But this is the premise of our whole series about walking dead. Is there actually walking dead in Scripture? Does that actually exist? Sure it does. Take a look at this. It says, Jesus told them, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. I mean, it's actually literally talking about dead people walking around burying other dead people. The point is that there is places in Scripture where it talks about we need to evaluate what we see and who we are. We need to evaluate ourselves, and we need to say, wait a minute, if the dead can walk, if the dead are among us, are, are we spiritually dead? We say we're Christians, we come to church. You see, the spiritually dead have a role. They can go bury their own dead. They don't want to be that church. The spiritually alive, ha <laughs> ha, they have a role too, amen? And that's what this series is about. Dead or alive, right? It's not to judge other churches. I just want to remind you guys. It's not, this isn't to judge, this is to evaluate Kingsway. As we're going through this series, I want to evaluate the things Kingsway can do better. I want to take a look at the self. Evaluate yourself as individuals. You may say, because many of us are Christians here, you may say, well, when I accepted Christ into my life and he washed me away from sin, I became alive. I'm born again. Amen. You are. Amen. And what happens when you backslide? What happens when you sin? What happens when sin comes into your life? Or what happens if you just get out of the will of God? What happens when you start doing your own thing? You know, we need to evaluate this because the Christians that are walking around that aren't spiritually alive, spiritually in God's will, what good are they? They may be doing more harm than good, in fact. Who wants to be a Christian like that? So let's self-examine and figure out, what is our role? Are you walking dead? Again, I'm not just talking about sin. I'm talking about Christians who are not living in the plan of God. Christians who aren't living in the role that God has for them in their community, in their church, in their family. So in order to do this, we've established this idea. What makes you alive? To look at a church, if we're going to say if a church is alive or church is dead, we need to look at what we would describe as anything being alive anything. It's what makes you alive. And so last week we said there are seven characteristics, seven traits that biologists have discovered, and this has stood the test of the last 50 years or so. You can go to Google or any high school biology book and look up these seven traits as to what makes anything alive. So we took those seven traits, we applied them to scripture, we went through, we studied, and we've pulled out that all seven of them apply to what God has taught us in scripture. So we're going to go through these seven the first one is the one we did last week. In order to be alive, you need to intake something. In human terms, we call that we need to eat. If you are alive, you eat. Right? And so what we said last week is 
You need to get some more word up in you. You need to eat God's word. That's the first one. That's what we talked about last week. We need to get more word of God in us. We need more meat and not just milk and honey. And a live church will preach the milk, the honey. They'll preach the meat and potatoes. They'll give you the vegetables. They'll give you the vitamins, the minerals. You need it all. Sometimes there'll be a little sugar dosed on it, but it can't be all sugar. Amen? A healthy church will give a healthy dose of living fruit and living water. In turn, the church must serve the word constantly. Everything we do, when we preach, when we sing, when we pray, it's based in the Word of God. When I'm up here praying for you, I'm praying Scripture. When we're up here singing with you, we're singing Scripture. When I'm up here talking about the Word of God, I'm talking Scripture. When the Word of God came today in the form of the Word through the Holy Spirit, that is Scripture. It's the Word of God up in you. Amen? And as you notice, by the way, you may not notice, I get, I get excited here. All the songs we sang today, all the songs had a constant theme. I don't know if you, if you saw that theme all up in there, but there's a constant theme. It's going to come out. If you missed it, it's going to come out in bright letters in a few minutes here right in the Scripture. It's all together. It's all connected. Now, I'll tell you something. Eating is the first one. We always make that first because we as Americans, we like to eat. So we can associate. Yeah, I'm alive. I eat. I associate. But there's something more important than eating the Word of God. <gasps> what? There's something more important in church than the Word of God? He's speaking blasphemy. Look, take a breath. Take a breath, relax yourself. Something more important than the word of God. Well, think about it. What about the Christians in China? You know, I was on YouTube last night, and I was scanning through some of the, the songs that we were singing today, getting my spirit man ready. And one of them on the side, the advertisement came up, and it, it talked about the hidden churches in China. And some guy had a video camera, and he was going to these hidden churches that masquerade as schools or masquerade as underground um, uh, learning centers for music. And in fact, they're hidden churches. And they had this camera. You should go watch this stuff. It's amazing. Uh, just to tell you real quick, I'm on a segue here. He took the camera in, and he's going and he's videotaping these people in these churches, and they're singing these songs all in Chinese, obviously, and he's got the subcaptions and subtitles there so you can understand what they're doing. And he's showing you their, their passion. They don't have access to the same songs we do. They don't have access to the same chords and mu music. They don't even have power in most cases because they're underground. they got to make most of this stuff up. They don't have access to the Word of God. It's illegal. They can't open up the Bible and preach it. How do I know this? Because the guy that was doing it, they came up to him and said, can you preach? He said, what? I said, sure. He had a Bible. or He knows the Bible. He can preach. He said, when do you want me to preach? I want you to start at 7.30, they said, and go till 8.30. He says, no problem. He got to 8.30, and he started to finish. He goes, you're not done yet? You got 11 more hours. They wanted them to preach from 7.30 in the morning to 8.30 at night. He did it. Then the next day at night, I mean, at night he said, would you be so kind to come back tomorrow and preach from 7.30 to 8.30 again? He's like, I think I preached everything I know. He says, okay, I'll do it the next day. At 7.30 to 8.30, he's exhausted. At 9 o'clock they said, would you be so kind to come back and preach again? He said, there were so many Chinese Christians there. He had to stand up and preach like this. They were in front of him. He would reach out his hand. That was the front row. The room was packed. Thousands. After the third day, he preached to 830. He's exhausted. He said to the main guy, why do I need to preach for 12 hours every day? This seems a little crazy. He, they said, it's simple. We need you to preach the whole Bible because we don't have them. 
So you can't tell me the Word of God is the most important thing in church. We, we build it up that way. The Word should not return void. It is Jesus. It is the living blood. I get it. I preach it, but there's something more important. Put it this way. Let's talk about our own bodies. What do we need more than food and water? We can go. I talk to my kids. We can go seven days to three weeks without food. You can only go about three days to seven days without water. What can you go far less? Of course, take a deep breath. My kids use this riddle. What's harder to catch the faster you run? What's harder to catch the faster you run? Your breath. You see, your breath is even more important than the food you bring into your body. The breath is the first thing that comes into your body. It is the thing that actually gives you life. Look, when we say take a deep breath, there's a lot of times you take a deep breath. A doctor, in fact, when he goes to check you and he checks your cholesterol and he checks your heart rate and he checks your lung capacity and he puts the stethoscope, thank you, up on you, he asks you to take a deep when you're running and you're out of breath. You try to take a deep breath. You try to get it up in you. When you're going through stress, you take a deep sigh. <sighs> That's a breath. Before you go underwater, you take a deep breath. When you smell the fresh air, you take a deep breath. What does the Word of God say? It's simple. The Word of God says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. And the man became living being. Who gave us this breath? This breath I speak of, where did it come from? Clearly, I could sit here and I could go through the innermost details of micro and then macro evolution and speciation. I could get into the finer details of what we know about the process of breathing. And I'm telling you right now, all research that I've done proved to one and one thing only. Our breath came from something outside of us. It came from God. God gave us breath. So the question is, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with your breath that we take such for granted? Do you go around life satisfying yourself, taking all the credit? Do you ignore the one who gave us this great gift? Today, today, if you knew you had a fixed number of breaths today, what would you do? I think that, to me, that proves everything. If I'm sitting here with a professional sinner and I said, you got 2,000 more breaths, you're probably going to spend them today, what are you going to do? He's got a laundry list of what he's going to accomplish today. And none of it's probably very good. Probably kill himself before the 2,000 breaths. If I talk to a mature Christian and I said, you got 2,000 breaths, what are you going to do with it today? He's also got a laundry list. And his list don't look anything like that list. What are you going to do with your breath. The purpose of this sermon, though, is to focus more on why do we have breath anyway? Why do we breathe? What is, what is the necessity of breathing? Well, my daughter knew this. I asked her at dinner table because I wanted to make sure this message wasn't over your head. So I said to my daughter, why do we breathe? And she said to me, well, that's obvious, Dad. We need oxygen. I said, okay. And I said, I'm blown away. She's 10. I said, she's not here right now. I said, Maddie, and I didn't even Google this yet, right? I said, why do we need oxygen? She thought about it for a second. We're eating dinner. She goes, well, doesn't it? It has something to do with us growing. We need that to grow. We need it to live. It gives us energy. 
Now, we could sit here and I could do a biology study with you and I can explain that the food you put in your body only turns into energy if it has oxygen. It does no good unless it has oxygen. You can't turn food into energy without oxygen. You need oxygen. She's exactly right. And that food then turns into nutrients, which then turns into energy, which then turns into stuff inside your cells that allows you to grow. So Maddie's exactly right. Oxygen allows you to grow. It allows you to get energy. It allows you to live. Without it, you can't live more than a few minutes. In other words, to be alive, you required to breathe. Now, not all animals or not all creatures that are alive breathe, but they respire. They create energy somehow, some way. We as humans, we do it via breathing. The question I'm asking you today is, if oxygen is so important to the physical man, then wouldn't something else be so important to the spiritual man? So I'm going to call that spiritual oxygen. What is the spiritual oxygen? that's in the church today, that's in your life today? What is that evidence that you are not walking around dead, not breathing? What is spiritual oxygen? You see, I like to think about it this way. As I, as I was putting my head on, I asked Madison, I said, okay, so if oxygen is important, I get it. How do you breathe? She, she thought about it for a while. And she says, I think it's pretty easy. There are, are two things you need to do when you breathe. You breathe air in and you breathe air out. This process of breathing allows oxygen into the body. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to walk you really quickly through, not just spiritual oxygen, but spiritual breathing, because that is what's important to us. The oxygen, whether we understand it or not, I don't understand everything in oxygen. O2, what percentage of O2 is in the atmosphere? Is it 100%? No, it's actually only 21%. So I don't need to know how much oxygen is coming in my body. It just works. But I definitely need to know how to breathe. That's really important. And my body's figured it out so well, I don't even need to think about it. It just happens. My body goes in, goes out. My body has figured out how to be a professional breather. The question is, has your spirit man figured out how to be a professional spiritual breather? Let's look at what the scripture says. Because I think it's pretty simple. The way I think about breathing is in and out, in and out, in and out. In with something good, out with something. Well, Maddie said, well, what is that stuff we, she goes, well, I, she says, I exhale oxygen, right? I said, well, kind of. Most of what you exhale is carbon dioxide. It's actually a poison. It's a toxin. That's what you exhale. So you, you out with the bad, in with the good. In with the good, out with the bad. In with the good. Out with the bad, in with the good, out with the bad, in with the good, out with the bad. This is what you do hundreds of thousands of times a day without even thinking about it. It's what keeps your body alive. In with pure, out with the impure. In with the pure, out with the impure. Do you have scripture for how this correlates to us as spirit men, spirit beings? The scripture for today is so basic. You've heard it so many times, and I love it, so I want to go over it with you right now. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Look at this word. It says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think upon such things, think upon such things. Philippians 4, 8. I contend today that the walking dead do not know how to spiritually breathe. More than likely, it's the number one reason they are walking around dead. They may spiritually eat. They may spiritually do lots of other things. 
but spiritually breathe is one of their issues that they have not overcome. Let's relate this to everyday life. Think about you and your breath. When you do not breathe properly, when you are out of air, when you are running around or when you are stressed out or when you're doing a lot of activity, you run out of air, you're going to get frustrated. You're going to get anxious. When you run out of air, you feel tired. You know, the, the concept of breathing as a human being, you have ups and you have downs. When you're doing it really well, you feel good. And when you're not doing it really well, well, you feel pretty low. You do a lot of exercise and you don't breathe well. You feel stressed and anxious. All these same things happen as a Christian. When we live our lives and we feel anxious spiritually and we have these ups and downs spiritually and we feel tired spiritually and we feel frustrated spiritually, have you ever considered it's because you aren't getting enough spiritual oxygen because you don't know how to spiritually breathe? I've been considering it. And I ask myself, well, breathing is something I do every day. It's something I do every minute. It's something I do every second. What is this that I would do every day? What is this breathing all the time, this spiritual habit that I need to take of? As you're dwelling on that, I want to look at this verse because I don't want to make sure that we don't go past it. Whatever is true, whatever is true. Church, forget my message for a second. Just dwell on these words. Whatever is true. What is true today? That the God of the heavens and the earth created you. That is true. He has a plan for you. That is true. He died for you. That is true. He resurrected himself for you. That is true. He wants to do something in you that only you on this planet can do and no one else. That is true. That he is working all things together for good. That is true. No weapon formed against you can prosper. That is true. Whatever is noble, whatever is noble. You know, I, I, don't, I don't even know really what this word means. I don't live in England. I didn't live in the times where we had kings. But I can understand when I put my head around noble, I think of something that is higher up. I think of something that is just and righteous. I think of something that is all-powerful. I think of things like, what is above me? Well, God is above me. He is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords, and he is in all control. That is noble. And I want to think of things that give honor to him. Amen. Whatever is right. You see, as Christians, we need to know what is right and what is wrong. The Bible literally says, to him that is knows what is right and does it not, it is sin. You see, our sin man depends on what is right and what is wrong. The scriptures lay out over and over again what is right and what is wrong. This is why we need a healthy diet of vitamins and minerals. Whatever is pure. I know very few things in this world that are pure. I do know that whenever you try to achieve purity of anything, a chemical, a liquid, a food, anything, you have something that is much, that is contaminated, and it gets filtered down to something that is much less. There's very few things that are pure. And when I think of what is pure, and I think my mind, and I put my thoughts on purity, I can only come up with very few things. And those things all have to do with Jesus Christ. He is pure. He is holy. Put your mind on him today. Whatever is lovely, whatever is going to coddle you, comfort you, whatever is going to build you up, these are the things we need to think on. Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, if anything is worthy of praise, think on these things. 
You know, another message came out of here as I was thinking about this. What does it have to do with spiritual breathing? Two things came to mind very quickly as I learned this verse. Two things. And this goes all the way back to the, um, let's see, this is Philippians. This is the uh, original Hebrew here. You go back and look at this. That word whatever is back in there. How many times have you ever heard teenagers go, whatever, whatever. You text, where do you want to go tonight? Whatever. What do you want to do tonight? Whatever. There's a series in here about God's whatever. Look at God's whatever's. Whatever, if it's true, whatever, if it's noble, whatever, if it's right, whatever, if it's pure. Anytime you see that word, whatever, you should be thinking about these things. Amen? Amen. There's something else in here. There's a hint in here about something you do every minute. There's something you do every second. There's something that you do on this board right here that you can't stop doing even if you tried. It becomes habit. Do you see it? Do you see it? It's right there. Can you see it? I got it in yellow. You think. That is the trick. You want to know what inhale is spiritually, spiritually breathing? It's what you think on, church. It's what you think on, church. The Bible just told us in Philippians 8, we need to control what we think on. We need to inhale the pure, inhale the noble, inhale the admirable, inhale the just. We need to inhale the lovely. I think Pastor Russ stood right here. I don't know, I wasn't here. If he stood here, if he stood here. Pastor Russ said, church, stop that stinking thinking. You need to be thinking on the things of God that are good. If Maybe this is hard for you. Maybe some of you are like, like, I can't control what goes on in my head. I think bad of him no matter what because he's just bad. You know, my situation stinks. My environment's terrible. My community's terrible. My house's terrible. My job is terrible. My car's terrible. Bank account's terrible. It's all terrible. I got nothing good to think about. Stinking thinking. How do we get our mind to think on good things? Go back to step one and eat more word. You see, there are two things going in your body, the food and the spiritual oxygen. You want to get your thinking right? Eat more Bible. Read the Bible. Read your devotion. Read the word. Go back and read Ephesians chapter two. Get your mind around what is good. The Bible actually calls, this is very interesting here, this concept of thinking on God, this thinking on good things, this is an act of prayer, by the way. This is how you pray. The Bible uses it. I mean, now the verse makes so much more sense. When you hear the verse that says, pray without, what does it mean? It doesn't mean you're stuck in a closet doing no good, all heavenly minded, no earthly good, praying all the time, not doing anything. It does not mean that. It means that when you're active in the world, when you're doing everything, making decisions, when you're going about your workforce day, when you're at home with your children, that you're putting your mind on things that are good and holy and right and lovely. You're asking God to come inside of you, bring his purity, create positive outcomes and energy. This is not new age stuff. This is the fact of how we breathe. When you breathe, it creates energy. When you create energy, you do positive things with it. The church should be doing positive things with their spiritual energy. So you should be praying, thinking on good things, and that should output in other things. Outputs next week. Don't worry. Today I'm thinking about input. Inhale. Create positive energy. How do we do this in a church? The same way you do it in your own life. And a live church needs to be able to inhale spiritually. We need to be able to be in a place where we can pray and allow God to get all up in there. That's why our, our services, are, you know, we, we pray at the beginning, the middle, the end. We pray all the time. You know, we talk about the worship. We talk about the word. We talk about praise. We talk about prayer. These things are extremely important. To me, Inhaling, the act of spiritually breathing is making sure I have a heavy dose of worship 
and prayer in my thought process all the time. Positive things about God, positive things about what he's doing, positive things about my next day. Not thinking about the worst case scenario, thinking about how God is going to rearrange my life, rearrange my situation. How is he going to do a miracle today? This is spiritually breathing. The process of spiritually breathing also includes an exhale. Now, this picture up here has smoke just to um, prove that something is coming out of your mouth. I'm not necessarily meaning smoke like smoking a cigarette, but you see my point. When you exhale, you release carbon dioxide when you breathe as a human being. Spiritually breathing, you need to release something. What is it? What does the Bible talk about when it says release something? Well, I've got a bunch of things here. The first thing it says, it's really important, that if you have sinned, you need to confess that sin. That is spiritually breathing. If you're sinning every day, you need to be confessing it every day. Now, we need to get you out of a life of sin pretty quick and pretty fast, and God can help you. But if you are sinning, you need to confess that sin. Amen? Bar none simply said, don't wait. Come to church. Confess it. Church will be an opportunity for you to come to the altar and talk about it. Your home, your bedroom is a place. Your closet is a place. Your spouse is a place. Your car is a place. You can confess your sin anywhere you are. Exhale spiritually all day long if you need to. Now, if you are not sinning, because look, none of us are perfect, and some of you Christians are pretty darn good. I get it. So you may not be living a life of sin, but you may have, how else do I say this delicately, um, impure thoughts. Man, woman, it doesn't matter. You describe what you put, but all kind of thoughts come into our mind, that stinking thinking. Whether it's about what we want to do, whether it's about what we're going to do, whether it's what we think about this person or that person. Those things will enter your mind. Satan is just plucking them away at us like little arrows. They will happen. Spiritually breathing means to exhale those things as fast as possible. Oh, I can't believe I thought that. Out of my mind. Think of something good. Think of something good. You know, I was thinking about this today. The measure of maturity, the measure of spiritual maturity, we talk about spiritual maturity all the time. I got another definition I'm working on here. The measure of spiritual maturity is the amount of time that it takes for you to spiritually exhale when you need to. In other words, the shorter that time is, the more mature you are. Some of us, we, we, we do bad things, we have bad thoughts, and that spiritual exhale takes weeks, months, years, or never happens. You hold it all up in there. When I'm doing something wrong, look, if I'm wrong, I'll be the first to say I'm wrong. If I have something in my mind, I'll be the first thing to say, Lord, take it from me. Spiritually exhale. Get it out of your spirit, man, and allow the, the pure thoughts, allow God's word to get up in you. Amen? Also, I like to think about it this way, and I'm going to move on. Amber and I talk about the difference between praise and worship all the time. It's probably not a real big difference, but in my mind, there's somewhat of a difference. Worship is something that allows God's presence to come in. So when I think about prayer and I think about worship, I think about that as an inhale. When I'm up here and I'm worshiping, I'm allowing, I'm allowing God to come into me and realign me. If I need to, I'll exhale and say, here are the things I need to get right in my mind, get right in my life. I'll exhale. But not all my exhale is negative. You know, you, you exhale 21% oxygen out of your, or 16% oxygen out of your lungs. That's why you can give CPR. So not everything that comes out of your body is negative. So part of the positive that should come out of your body, to me, the exhale is praise, thanksgiving. When I'm praying and I'm worshiping, I bring in, I say, pray, worship, come in. Praise, thanksgiving, come out. Thank you, thank you, God. Thank you. 
You are awesome. You are awesome. And I may get excited. You may see a lot come out. And sometimes there's a lot coming in. There's worship and there's praise. And we design the worship sets and praise sets, you know, sometimes to be praise up front, sometimes to be praise at the bottom, sometimes praise in the middle, worship throughout. They're all different. We think about these things every week because we want you to get good at spiritually breathing. Now, this is where I'm supposed to end. And normally I would end, but this series I got to go on. So I'm going to tell you right now, what I'm about to get into is so exciting for me that I'm going to spend probably 10 more minutes. I'm going to go over 12 o'clock to get to it. If you got to go, that's okay. I, it doesn't offend me at all. We have a podcast. You can listen to the ending. The ending's always the best part. But as I looked to scripture, I said, okay, now I understand what spiritually breathing is. My thoughts and allowing praise and worship and to get in my spirit, man, and pure thoughts and, and, and confessing sin. I get it. I understand what all this is. I want to take a look now at breathing in scripture. When did God actually point to breathing as important? If what I'm saying is true, God should have said it over and over again in Scripture, right? If it's really as important as I say it is, it probably should have manifested itself in Jesus Christ himself, right? I mean, he was God incarnate, so he must have thought this was important. If I think it's important, I should be able to demonstrate through Scripture that God thought it was important through Jesus Christ. I want to do that for you right now. In my mind, the greatest exhale in all of humanity was the greatest confession of sin to ever exist. And it wasn't one human being. It was all human beings all at once. The greatest exhale of all humanity, Mark 15, 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last breath. This was in his moment of pain and torment when they're jabbing him with a spear. He had done nothing wrong, taken the sin of the world. He's feeling ultimate physical pain. And at the same time, he's feeling the worst spiritual horror as all of the sin, all of you and mine and all the sin in humanity falls on him to the point where he must now, God himself can only breathe one more breath and he exhales with a loud cry. What happened with that last breath? What happened with that last exhale? In my view, the moment Jesus took his last breath, our deaths were forever changed. In that moment when he took our sin, his exhale allowed us to do the same thing, confess our sin whenever we should have to do it. And in that moment, guarantee our place in heaven with him. We must not fear Hell, we must not fear Satan. We must not fear the afterlife because simply by spiritually exhaling, I now have a place in heaven with Jesus Christ. He conquered sin once and for all. You know, when I wrote that down in my notes, I wrote once and for all. I wrote it in my notes and as I wrote it, I thought to myself, man, I've said this probably a million times in my life, once and for all. And it probably... When I wrote it down, I realized the only time it's ever, ever, ever true once and for all is when Jesus conquered sin and the death. He did it once, and it was for all. I wonder if that's where it came from. I don't know. I just thought it was funny when I wrote it in my notes. Entrance into heaven. God has gave us entrance into heaven with his death. He gave up his own spirit. He exhaled. The spirit came out of him in that moment. It broke the veil of the temple, as we always talk about. What happened next? See, his exhale happened first. The great exhale, it happened here. And that's a lot of times why we start with praise music and, and we, we exhale our praise, we exhale, we get our minds right before we begin to inhale. Because the next breath Jesus had, the next breath on planet earth, 
I like to say, the moment Jesus took his next first breath, our lives forever changed. He changed our death, and now he's changing our lives by resurrecting himself, by allowing God to bring him back to earth and his spirit coming back in him. He now changed our lives. So here on earth, we can no longer be the walking dead. We can be a vibrant and alive church. The Bible says he conquered death, disease, depression. He conquered addiction, anger, greed. He conquered loneliness. He did all of these things, and then he pointed to us and said, greater works shall we do. Who needs help with these things? Who needs help with death, disease, depression, addiction, anger, greed, loneliness? Amen. Thank God we serve a God who breathed one more time. You wonder the power of the resurrection. It was that next breath to change everything. When God said, I'm going to send my son down to earth, and Jesus knew he had to go through all he had to do, I can imagine what he was thinking. I can imagine his approach. I can imagine how they pumped each other up as he went down. And he had so much to do here on earth for 33 years. But when he was resurrected, that looked like a God who was on a mission. What could he possibly have to do next? He's done everything. He had conquered sin in the grave, conquered Satan. But that was a leader who was about to take his next breath and change the world forever. He made us. He died for us. He rose for us. And then he breathed one more time for us. The Bible says this, John chapter 20, verse 22. He breathed on them. Jesus said he breathed on them. After that, he walked. He saw Peter and Tom and John. He walked. He saw them, James, Thomas. He breathed on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. God sent the comforter, the miracle worker. He sent boldness to every Christian. He wants us to be vibrant and alive. He wants to breathe on the church and breathe on you, and he wants you to inhale his spiritual oxygen. To be vibrant and alive, we must be spiritual breathers. For our church to be vibrant and alive, it must be good at producing spiritual breathers. And the crux of that is it must acknowledge the Holy Spirit it must be more than just recognize the Holy Spirit. It must be aware of the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit, and not dismiss the Holy Spirit. To me, this is fundamental. We cannot worship and praise and pray and go through the Word of God without the leading, the prompting, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And when He gets all up in us, you're going to get a dose of oxygen you've never felt before. He doesn't end there. The scriptures then say in Ephesians, right back to Ephesians chapter 5, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. As we go here and I continue to teach to you guys, I'm going to do a series ultimately on the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, the baptisms of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're getting there. We're not there yet. But it's part of the spiritual breathing. Right now as a church, we need to provide an opportunity to worship, an opportunity to praise an opportunity for us to be instructed and submit to God, an opportunity for us to confess our sin. We need to provide an opportunity for the pastors to give direction and for the power of God to come into us. If you look at the Lord's Prayer, that's it right there. Worship, praise, instruction, confession, submission, direction, and power. That's what an alive church does. That's what we need to do. How can we do that better? 
Spiritual oxygen. Spiritual breathing. In with the pure, out with the impure. Jesus Christ thought it was so important. He demonstrated his resurrection power simply to demonstrate he could breathe again. An inhale and an exhale. An exhale to change our death. An inhale to change our humanity. And now he expects the churches of this world to do the same. There's a nuance here. As I was going through the biology of breathing, and you get into the why we need to breathe, there's a very, very basic element of why we need to breathe. A living creature, a living, a living organism, it needs to be able to meet its need. By breathing, we convert oxygen into energy with food, and then we can be, be, be self-propelled. A church that's alive and is breathing spiritually, their needs in the church will be met. Maybe not all, all not at once. But when they're breathing spiritually, they'll produce energy internally, and that energy will meet the needs of the church. Look at what's happening the Kingsway over the last two years. There's not 600 of you. There's not even 200 of you. And somehow, someway through you, God has met the need of Kingsway true through and blue from sealing the floor door to door and pew to pew. And this no small church, church. Some of you walk around and realize all the different buildings, all the different rooms in this facility. God has given us a miracle here in Rosedale. We have yet to see its potential. But as you guys begin to spiritually breathe, as the Holy Spirit begins to move you, and it's already started, I'm seeing it all over Kingsway. All the ministries, all the new leaders and volunteers, all the things that are happening at Kingsway, we are setting ourselves up to explode this building. The roof is just one example. I mean, I was shocked at the response for this roof. That is evidence that there are many of you who understand spiritual breathing. This is such a basic, basic concept. As a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, you see this every day. A situation occurs. You start arguing. You're exhaling negative, 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 negative. It just gets worse, worse, and worse. You start disciplining your children. You did this wrong, you did that wrong. I can't, you, just worse and worse and worse. Spiritual breathing. It means stop. Get out of that environment. Go inhale. Father God, I worship you this minute. Help me understand what to do. Help me understand what to say. Guide me, lead me. Then go readdress it. In some case, you may need to exhale too. God, I, I'm so, I, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done it that way. Help me. Reapproach this. Then go to your partner. Go to your children. I'm sorry. We handled that the wrong way. My bad. Here's how we do it now. Spiritually breathing. Every aspect of your life. Work. In the car. Deal with your finances. When you do it, the Holy Spirit will come inside you. The Holy Spirit will guide you. The Holy Spirit will inspire you. If you are not inspired as output from your spiritual breathing, you need to do a better job breathing. 
you will get inspired. I don't, they call it a runner's high, I think. When you do such a good job of this, you just feel like you can do anything. That's what we're trying to achieve here at Kingsway. And we will get there because we cannot be the walking dead church. We need to be walking alive and vibrant. Alive and vibrant. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.